Welcome back to the Celts are here weekly bulletin. Um, we've managed to get this going myself and Quinny. Hopefully we'll have some other guests joining us over the next few weeks. But um, welcome to all our YouTube viewers, Spotify, Apple Music. Um, it's great to have everyone listening and hope you're all enjoying the podcast. Um, unfortunately, we start with a piece of, of sad news this week. The Celtic support learned of the passing of club legend and Lisbon line, uh, John Yogi Hughes. John signed for Celtic in 1958, would make his, sorry, 1959, made his debut against Ford Lanark in 1960. Um, scored in his debut as a 17-year-old, would play in a Celtic side coming through the ranks with the Kelly kids, players like John Clark, Stevie Chalmers, Billy McNeil. A lot of... Um, high points in his Celtic career but at the very start there was a lot of low points Celtic experienced barren years in those early uh, period of time until the arrival of Jock Steen to Celtic probably one of his standouts before the arrival of Steen was scoring in the Old Cup Winners Cup against the MTK Budapest against Bratislava um, to take Celtic on to play MTK Budapest in the semi-final Celtic's first ever European semi-final uh, when Jockson arrived at the club, he played in the Scottish Cup final as centre-forward in the 3-2 victory against Dunfermline, which many see as the turning point and the start of the golden era of Celtic Football Club. From that point onwards, he scored two goals in the 1965 League Cup final. Two penalties, might we add. Something that's not regular for Celtic in any match, never mind the Cup final. He played in five out of the nine games on the way to the European Cup final in 1967. I would rightly remember the loan with his other Lisbon teammates as a, a Lisbon line. Um, he played other significant contributions to Celtic's titles. Um, another treble came along the way in season 68-69. And Yogi also scored a very memorable goal against Leeds United at Hampden Park in front of a crowd of over 136,000 as he tormented Jack Charlton, beat the mighty Leeds um, with goals of that night coming from John Hughes and Bobby Murdoch. He was forced out of the club in 1971. Uh, along with his Celtic teammate Willie Wallace, his jokes he started to dismantle the Lisbon Lions. And ever since that day, he's remained firm and has support to the club, being a true Celtic supporter throughout his whole life, right up until the very last. Um, he'll be fondly remembered by all the Celtic support and everyone at Celtic are here wishes John Hughes' family our very best wishes and we're thinking of them at this sad time. Quinny, with the passing of John Hughes in the past year, we've lost Charlie Gallagher, Bertie Old and John Hughes. And we're now doing a squad of, of five Um with the passing of John, I think another part of the Lions story goes, but rightly so, they'll always be remembered. Totally. And, uh, you know, you'll never walk alone to, to John Hughes and his family as well, of course. Um, yeah, I, I think, um, you, you know, when I think about, you know, Betty Old and obviously John Hughes and now and this kind of stuff, like, it is a real testament to the, the impact they've had on the club that we're still talking about them, you know, 60 years on, the achievements they had. And obviously the Lisbon Lions is a... Is a special one, but to listen to you go through there, his honours list and his, his kind of career bio, if you like, it's um, it, it, it's amazing that the contribution he's made and obviously the memories he's left behind. I only know him from hearing my papa, my grandfather talk about him, you know, when I was a kid and stuff. Obviously, I've, I've never seen the guy play or anything, you know, but heart goes out to his family and yeah, he's a silk forever now. Yeah, he's one of those distinctive characters too that has obviously their own song and that kind of comes from those early years that I spoke about in the early 60s of Celtic not doing so well and knowing that Big Yogi could change the game and his goal scoring record 416 appearances and 189 goals ever since he retired in 1972-73 um, only one Celt has scored more goals in that time than him and that being 
the King of Kings, Henrik Larson, which pretty much says it all to you. Can I make that list of you know, top 10 sales of all those goals, 189 goals is a phenomenal return. And for a, a person who was played mostly out in the wing, he wasn't always up front. Yep, for sure. And, uh, you know, you know what I always think as well, I, I remember when Jimmy Johnson passed, uh, his funeral, coincidentally enough, was on my birthday. And um, the impression I got, like being a parkhead that day, and it's something that's always kind of stayed with me, even, I think we really seen this with Betty Old last year as well, is like, when these guys have passed, it's like, it's more of a, it's a, you know, it's a very sad time for everyone, but it's also a very celebratory moment, you know, because there are people that have achieved great things in their life for, for all of us. We've all kind of shared in the joy of that, you know, so... It's um, you know, of course, sad times for for him and his family, but it's definitely a great opportunity to to kind of celebrate his achievements as well and and, and what he did for the club. Yeah, remember him properly, absolutely, along with, with all his um his Lisbon teammates, which you know, rightly so, as you say, it's important that fifty five years on from the Lisbon achievement that we're still talking about it because it really set the you know the foundations for the modern day Celtic, and without it. God knows what, what kind of football club Celtic would be had we you know, had that turning point over those barren years. But um, yeah, John Hughes will be fondly remembered. And, you know, I think our older support, you know, our older generation, um, or our grandfathers and whatnot, remember Yogi fondly, whether they were standing in the Celtic end of the jungle and whatnot, singing Feed the Bear and seeing him torment defenders. Um, one that I missed out there was five goals against Aberdeen on a, a frosty pitch when he was wearing a pair of sand shoes, which, you know, is kind of Celtic folklore and stuff. So, you know, absolutely phenomenal career at Celtic from 1590 to 71. And he'll be always um, remembered. Um, moving on from, from that sad news, um, it was a, a carnival atmosphere, I think you could say, Quinny. And Sunday getting back to Celtic <laughs> Park, it was sunny. Um, Callum McGregor was unfurling the flag. It was all well and good before the game and then the TIFO absolutely phenomenal top marks to the Green Brigade North Cove Celtic for, for the organisation it looked absolutely fabulous Aye it was brilliant and uh, it really made splashes you know across world football as well and it's, it's one of these things again that you know like we're talking about with, with Yogi there and with the TIFO it's like you know there's very distinct details that separate Celtic you know from a lot of clubs in world football in terms of you know the, the body of the club you know the stature of everything you know and uh, I think Joe Hart's comments, I don't remember exactly what they were, but his comments were, were quite telling about it. It was something along the lines of, I had no idea what a flag day was, but this was amazing or something, because it was it, yeah, it was breathtaking the whole thing. Something along yeah. those lines is a new one to me. Yeah. It was so, breathtaking. Um, yeah, so it was a fantastic effort. And I say, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I couldn't make, to, make it to the game. I was actually really hoping to make it there, but unfortunately not. But it was a uh, yeah, fantastic viewing. And um Carnival atmosphere is probably the right way of putting it because the weather was great as well. And, you know, um, that always helps to these kind of afternoon kickoffs at Parkhead. If it's a nice day, then it's party time. Yeah, especially when they're half past four on a Sunday. But we'll get on to kickoff things and TV blackouts a wee bit <laughs> um, later on. In terms of just the, the whole game, what was your thoughts on it? I thought Celtic were pretty much in control. We deserved their goals. I think we probably could have you know scored more on the day. But I think you're just happy to get off to a winning start compared to last year the contrast is absolutely worlds apart isn't it yeah for sure and I had to kind of check myself through the game because like um, like yeah I agree 2-0 you know you, you really couldn't ask for on paper like, a much better start to be honest but I was um, I was watching the game live on my on my YouTube channel and uh, 
honestly, I had to I had to check myself like two or three times in the game because I was like actually getting pretty frustrated and pretty uh, pretty um, upset with some of the stuff that wasn't happening or things that were just a wee bit off the pace. And I had to like shake myself up. Well, we're running two 0 you know. Also towards the end of the game, you know, like you know, behave. You know, this is well. You know, we've done well. It's Aberdeen at home, not the rest of it. And then when I heard, you know, the manager's comments afterwards, I think we'll be talking about the manager later on at some point as well. But I felt a wee bit better because I thought, oh, well, you know, he's obviously seen something quite similar there. But I, I think it was a convincing enough win. Aberdeen didn't really trouble us too much, you know. But I definitely, um, I, I think any pre-season hype is is quickly kind of faded from from some of the guys, like Rio Hattati in particular. Yeah, shared sentiments. I think you know, as you say, there from yourself and, and Ange Postecoglou. Um, I think just one kind of thing to touch on. We don't want to go too much over the Aberdeen game because I'm sure it's been covered plenty um, over the sure. past week. Um, Stephen Welsh, good for him to get in the score sheet. I think he's did really well stepping up. You know, Ange was praising him to the help last week. I imagine he'll keep his place for, for this uh, Saturday's game in, in Dingwall. And, uh, you know, fair play to him coming in, rises above three Aberdeen defenders and bangs the ball right into the back of the net. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, the third minute or whatever. Uh, yeah, uh, he was my man of the match. I thought he was like the best player on the day, to be honest with you. I know Jota got the award and obviously you know, had the spectacular goal and he is going to win the man of the match award. But Welsh, if you look at his statistics and his, you know, what he did in the match, like it was head and shoulders. It was it was fantastic. Um, he's got no right to score that goal, but, you know, like you're, you're saying there, he beat three men. Like one was like backstepping, one was running onto the ball. And then one was behind him, you know, so he had like people covering. <laughs> There's no, he's got no right to win that ball. It was absolute calamity from Aberdeen and they'll be raging. But fair play to the big man. Nice and calm, takes it back, just drops it down in the bottom corner. And uh, yeah, hope to see more of that from him when he gets his gets his chances. Yeah, we'll take that. Um, I've seen Hamish Carton have a wee cheeky uh, tweet on, on Sunday saying, you know, it was our first headed goal we'd scored since Victor Manyama against Barcelona, which <laughs> was made by really. Um, you know, and, and you know, I think that that's became that, that idea that Celtic don't score from corners. The last one, obviously, I remember it was Betis last season. Again, it was Stephen Wells, but it's something that you'd probably like to see more creep into your game um, a wee bit more. But uh, yeah, totally. fair play. And again, I, I saw a graphic and by lost in a half space in Twitter. And they were saying that, you know, compared to some of the other centre halves, he's, he's the one that always wants to take that risk pass. If you remember the yep. goal over in uh, Warsaw, it's his ball to Hatati that then breaks for Maeda that we get the goal from. And again, in uh, Sunday, he was doing that, you know, instead of passing it to Callum McGregor or to Cameron Carter Vickers, he's playing the ball forward, which again, listen, you might lose possession with it, but again, you might end up going on to score a goal from it. And I think that just says, a lot probably about his development as a person and player under under Ange Postecoglou that he's got that belief in himself to do that and he also feels comfortable in his football ability to do that. I make you totally spot on. I think like the most impressive thing I've seen from him is in that exact same vein in terms of taking the risk going forward. There was like two chances or two or two um, two points in the second half. He did one of those like Van Dyke or Van Ayer moves where he just nobody was making a pass for him, so he just ran like ten yards into the opposition half and then played a pass. And I think the second time, he actually made it to the edge of the Aberdeen box before laying somebody off. And, um, you know, we don't really get that from Carter Vickers. I don't really think that's part of his, you know, like strengths, if that makes sense. He's more... Uh, like, just uh, just the fridge, isn't he? That's the, yeah, the, the exactly. Name, the fridge just sits there. That's it. That'll do that's us. It. Um, and I think that's maybe where we've seen, like, some calamity with Starfield in the past is when he does try and take five yards. 
So um, it's good to see Welsh have a bit of that in his game for sure. Um, that that forward because these centre backs and even some midfielders, a lot of people will discredit what they do in the game because it's like oh they're just passing the ball five yards left to right or whatever. But it's those opportunities where they get in, in between the half spaces like a Twitter man and they are break the lines and all these other football buzzwords. But when the centre back can do that, it's it's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, you know, and he plays football. I think he's had a big emphasis on. Um... There are players behind the forward players, you know, creating what he described as a platform for them to go and basically do their stuff. And obviously, Celtic's got an abundance of attacking players. But if you don't have, you know, guys like Stephen Welsh or Callum McGregor or whatnot, you know, getting into those spaces, taking those five-yard passes on and then progressing the play, um, you won't get up the part, you won't score, um, which is all about Ange Postacoglu's football. It was absolute cracking goal from Jota. Probably enough's been said about that um, over the past week. Um he doesn't think he's scored a better one. I spoke to him after the game and he, you know, he seemed quite happy with it, but not, you know, too overly uh, too overly excited about it. But yeah, I thought the the manager's comments after the game were very, very interesting. The one that stood out for me, Quinny, was when he was asked by Jonathan the Pressure whether it was just a case that Celtic had to get an error of him a play. Um and the, the you know basically click type thing but should have talked to the bank and saying you know he doesn't believe in that the season's now started and he expects a high level of performance um, from his players I thought those comments were refreshing what about yourself? Yeah, I totally agree and um, like I mentioned earlier like I, I, I was like Hitate for the for the whole time he was on the pitch, really, like really was doing my head in. Just way like you'll probably remember there was like three instances where he just broke an attack down with like a crap pass or you know just reading the play wrong and whatever, and I thought he was really off it in a lot of senses. Um, and uh, what do you call it? The, the manager picked out Jota in the first half, saying he was quite wasteful. I didn't really, I'd have probably um, lamented Kyogo first half a bit more, maybe, than, than Jota necessarily. I think Jota did well to create stuff. Um, but yeah, no, it is very refreshing to hear the manager not be happy with um, with 2 0 because to, to use his own, to, to paraphrase him, you know, you don't make 10 chances a game to score two, you make 10 chances a game to score, you know, five or six or something, you know. You want to take as many of your chances as possible because you just don't know how the game can turn. No, absolutely not. And again, one of the other uh, questions that he was asked was about the, the squad. Obviously, we've seen a wee bit more depth added to the squad. They've brought in seven new players this summer. Um, and he was asked about that, you know, in, in terms of how he keeps players happy. And again, I thought he'd give a cracking answer and saying, you know, if they're not happy enough at Celtic, I'll read out the, the actual quote, which I've got here in front of me. Um, the big man what he said just get, get it up here but uh, yeah he you know he basically just dismissed that and said here it is he said yeah the Celtic Football Club if that is not happiness for them I don't know what is they can find it somewhere else it is not my job to keep them happy my job is to make sure that we get the best out of them and give them every opportunity and they will all get opportunities they know that I think that's very refreshing for us as fans because one we know that there's a squad there. We know that there's a belief in a squad there. And two, um, you know, he's coming out and he's basically saying to the players here, once you get the opportunity, you're going to have the chance to impress me. You better take it. Yeah, for sure. And um, I, I, those comments are probably largely aimed at James McCarthy for the, from what's to believe, what's, what's to be believed that's out there in the kind of ether. He's looking to maybe get out. I think Sunderland is maybe the team that's um, yeah, that's maybe going on from something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but again, I think that really ties into what we've kind of surmised from the manager already with his like squad philosophy that he's telling everyone the same story. Like, you know, we're going to play a lot of matches. That these are the rules that I expect you to play in the squad. 
you'll get your chance through the season. And maybe some sort of conversations happened or maybe the manager's just went, you know what, James, I've, just, I've given you enough chances now and maybe I don't think you're going to cut it now that we've got in White and maybe Edigucci's still fancied mm. quite heavily by the manager by all accounts, you know. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think there's a lot of Celtic fans who probably still don't think that Ange Postecoglou had too much to say and James McCarthy probably coming to Celtic in terms Agreed. of you know the whole contract is here till was it twenty twenty five he was signed in a four year deal twenty two appearances last season I think it's like four or five starts which you know doesn't look like a player that the managers get get too much hope and obviously brought him on and a flag day to get in the medal I think that was a nice thing to do but you know if James McCarthy's probably looking for first team football I just can't see him getting it he's at that stage he's career at thirty one he probably wants to play. Um, having you know had so many injuries over the course of his football career, so that's an interesting one to keep the eye on. I think Quinny, what I find most interesting about the McCarthy um, rumours is that I do imagine that James McCarthy is on a fair whack of money at Celtic, yeah. and if we could shift him off the wage bill, it might free up um, money for someone else. It's obviously, the news broke that we were interested, and um, the Montenegrin winger from from Ruben Kazan, and it, it broke down because. Um, due to the situation with the invasion of Ukraine, there's a lot of uh, difficulties in basically, you know, having a transfer negotiation and uh, paying the actual fee to Russian clubs. So th- th- there's an issue there. Celtic have pulled out it, but I think it's good that Celtic are looking in that market. It was something that we'd spoke about last week. I said they wanted another forward player, and possibly if you know whether it's McCarthy, a Yeti, whoever, if somebody in the big wages checks out, we, we might be looking to to bring in a, a you know whether it's a loan be an option to buy a permanent move another uh, forward player another player to add depth to the squad yeah and I'd, I've got no idea where you squeeze another forward in but if we're going to go get another one then let's hope they're good you know because uh, again to, to kind of paraphrase the manager he doesn't want any of the players to be comfortable you know he wants them all on their toes all the time and he doesn't seem like the apologetic type you know like if people are you know, like I, I've been in workplaces, I'm sure many people listening, yourself included, have, have been in these places where you've got some really good managers in like any workplace and they just take no shit. You know, they, they don't accept anything less than results. And we like the manager because obviously like he gets the club and he's like, he, you know, he's, he's got that kind of personal touch. But I do very much see him in that mold of being like a top end winner. Like this is what is required and nothing else is going to be accepted. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's came across, you know, the whole season last year. And it's already coming across very early on this season. Um, he was getting to know the, the, the players. Last year, he, he knew that, you know, things weren't going to take off right away. It's about keeping the lid on things. But once you see where Celtic could get to last season, um, that there's a bigger expectation. I think putting the players this season, probably from the manager, um, not that he'll put that pressure on the players, but he'll look to, to get performances, you know, and you're going to be entering the Champions League and you need to be ready for the big boys because they're not going to rock into Glasgow and, you know, uh, not think that they probably can, can comfortably beat us. So we need to be able to challenge these teams. And it's about creating, you know, I go back to, I think it was after the, the Sparta Prague game nearly two years ago now. Um, yep. With Carl McGregor, I think it was touched or that was nearly in himself, touched on a culture change that didn't happen at Celtic. That culture change definitely happened last year. And it's now about changing, you know, probably the mindset in European football with Celtic that we can compete, we can challenge and we can give teams a good go once again because, you know, I'm a bit too young to remember those Martin O'Neill kind of 
days in, in Europe, but you'll remember really well who we, yeah. we went to to be the best in Europe. I, I know the game's moved on since then, but there's no reason why even latterly we got in starting too, obviously, but we can't try and get some of the special nights back to Celtic Park this year, hopefully. I completely agree. And like I guess this will probably t- touch into something else that we'll be coming to, but like the the financial like period that the clubs had in terms of being able to be like tight fisted over the last like while and you know, kind of scrimping and scrape on transfers, it does feel like this manager is getting backed like it no other manager previously has. And I'd probably include Brendan Rogers in that. And I know we spent money under Rogers, but this guy's building a full new team, you know, and it's almost two to a position. You know, there's not many legacy players left over from when he came in. Um and I think that whole attitude is, is like it is a mentality thing in terms of approaching Europe. You know, I watch uh, you know I watch a lot of European football, and we'll all be familiar with like Red Bull Salzburg, for example. And I know that they go Absolutely. out and sn- and snipe up wonder kids and stuff, right? But mm. that aside, they're just like an elite. Pro- it doesn't matter that they're in Austria or that they, they don't even spend that much money. They just get really good people in, you know. And you know, at home, they <laughs> they last year and the year before in Europe, they've been like the old Celtic at home when any teams went to Salzburg last year, like Bayern Munich had a tough time there. All the big teams did, you know, and that's just that, you know, mentality that we need to get back. It's just, it's hard to have that from the fans when you really don't back the, the, the players and the teams. And I think about since Martin O'Neill left to now, this quality of squad that we've had has never been as good as it's been now, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. And you go into those group stages thinking, ah, well, well, we've got, Venegur up front and we've got Zaravsky. Let's see how <laughs> see how well we do. And uh, you know, nothing wrong with those guys. But now it's like like we were saying before, Jot is Stardust material, you know, we've seen that with the goal at the weekend. And it's the first time that we've got these top end players where we can have that attitude change and go, do you know what? No, we are going to you know, they're coming to our place and they're gonna to have to beat us because we are pretty bloody good and you know, the fans are our twelfth man and all the rest of it. So yeah, I think I think we're maybe on the way there with the recruitment we've had and obviously the manager we've got, but long overdue. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it long overdue. I mean, you know that that holds that I've not winning a knockout ten European football since two thousand and four. It's yeah. hanging over Celtic, and you know last season there was no excuses against Bodo Glimt. I know, um, they they went a wee bit further into the tournament. They'd already had those great results against Roma. Roma was eventually knocked them out. They went on to win the Conference League, but I think a lot of Celtic fans would have hoped that we'd have given a better account of ourselves over those th- those two ties. But, you know, I thought we played very well at times in the Europa League last season. We were unlucky um, against Leverkusen, who are a top, top quality team. And Agreed. hopefully we, we, we take that wee progressive step once again this year. You know, we've not lost any of our, you know, important players, that you would say. Um, I know, obviously, Tom Rodgick and their Beatons checked out. That's not due to, to Celtic, you know, sending them on for a, a big fee that, that was in their own accord so yeah I, I totally agree with you in the squad that it's in a good place and we hope that we do get, get back to those um those days in terms of that probably leads in nicely to our, our next point um that our chairman that is overseen um that that poor what you probably could describe as, as poor running Europe obviously when yep. we're talking about Ian Banker when he first arrived at Celtic um we'd get to the last 16 of the Champions League under Neil Lennon, we then consecutively uh, qualified for the Champions League group stages under Neil Lennon. And then I think when in that season, we started to see Celtic, you know, changing Europe a bit. I remember AC Milan coming to Celtic Park. We did okay over in the San Siro. We got scalped 3-0. And um, we got that real doing in the new camp. And then, you know, the, the two years after that, um, and Champions League, we, we failed to do it. Brendan came in. 
bit of success and then ever since, you know, season 17, 18, we failed to, to qualify for the competition. Firstly, um, what, what is your thoughts on, on Ian Bankier stepping down from his position as chairman in January next year? Um, well, to be quite honest, I was, I'm not really up on a lot of the internal politics of the boardroom and all that kind of stuff on Celtic, to be quite honest. But I also know, like, he's, you know, the chairman, he's the kind of, him along with uh, Lowell over the last period of, obviously the culprits for all, all good and bad and everything in between. Um, but it's a good it's one, a... I like that. I think I'll start using that, all good and bad and everything in between, I like that. <laughs> Covers all the grey, you know, because there is some, like, uh, it's one of these things that in different periods, I've I've been really supportive of some of the business we've done in the transfer market mm, over the years yeah. and some of the stuff. But one thing I think when I'm listening to you kind of um, regale on like the European um, runs or lack of that we've had, is that so many of the teams were like half-baked, where it was like, we need one more guy to really solidify the defence, or really, we've yeah. got no left-backs, or we've got no strike, you know. It's always just been that little bit, or five of them are loan players, and they're all gone in the summer, and you've got nothing to build on, you're then starting from scratch again. It was so, you know, so it's um, it's definitely been a mixed period, you know, but I think, like I kind of alluded to maybe a moment ago, like I think maybe some of the financial, um, you know, kind of, you know, the, the prudent nature of the board over the last 10 years for, for the large part is maybe facilitating us pushing the boat out a bit firmer than now, you know, like, I don't think I can under, understate this and, or overstate this enough, but like Vinicius Souza, I know we didn't get him, right, but that is like an elite target and we've not been after like a real elite target, like, I think probably since like Hartson and Sutton and these types of guys really, you know, like a known guy that everyone or lots of clubs are interested in vehemently, you know, like, it was PSV, Fernabachi, Benfica, Ajax, all the elite kind of, you know, feeder teams, if you like. Everyone was after this guy. And fair enough, he went to Espanyol, it's a bit of a curveball. But seeing us being back in the mix for that, that guy, Mishu as well, is an elite talent. That's mm. the kind of place that we need to now be, that's the sort of waters we need to be fishing in. And it's, you know, even being mentioned credibly in these conversations is a sign of progression, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and just to maybe, you know, we did transfers, babe last season, you know, I'd happily give them praise for, for doing that, you know, to do the option yeah. to buy Baby Vickers and Jota and get both over the line, you know, I think they deserve great credit for. Um, but but just in case of that that whole thing, I think probably one of the things that frustrated Celtic fans more than anything with Ian Banker was his comments at the previous CGM when he was asked about European football, just what we were talking about there, oh. and he said that Celtic couldn't compete, which I thought was a real defeatist attitude and something... I don't think Ange Postecoglou probably shares at all with Ian Bank here. I would definitely agree. I don't I actually remember those comments coming out at the time now that you mentioned that. Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. as a mentality thing, and it's unfortunate that I think, like, you know, we've got the new kind of sporting director guy in as well. It's Law's son or whatever, the yeah, from CFG. So, you know, guys like him and Postecoglou, like, you know, they understand that, like, if you get the numbers right and you get the people right and you cover the right metrics in the for the strategy on the pitch and whatever then, you know, results can be had, you know, they're there to be gotten. So I do hope that is an old attitude that's maybe leaving with his tenure. But then Law will come back in, which is the, the speculation, maybe then throws a spanner in the works towards that, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Obviously, there's a, you know, I think a lot of people are just assuming that, that Peter Law will return to Celtic um, as chairman. He's not actually left Celtic, he's still part of the an executive director's board. He's very much a part of the, the match day at Celtic in the boardroom still um, since he left as CEO last year before Michael Nicholson took over from him in that role. Um, 
the only kind of span in the works I would throw into this is compared to the position of CEO, I think the chairman position is very different now compared to what it maybe was when, you know, Bob Kelly and Desmond White back in the day was was holding the position. I, I don't know how much influence at all, I and mean, people would say right away, which Peter Lowell will have a big influence at the club. But in terms of just the actual role of chairman, um, I'd imagine it's nothing more than, you know, turning up in the match day, chairing the board meetings, obviously, and, and speaking at uh, events and basically being more of an ambassador for the club. And obviously one of the things that was re-emphasised um, and why kind of an excuse was given um, to why Peter Lober was staying as a, a non-exec when he was um, his membership of European boards, which Celtic wanted to, to keep a hold of, which I do think is important that Celtic do have a say at the top table. I totally agree. And that's one of the things that I've always like found admirable about Lowell is he's he makes those connections. He's a, a huge networker in that sense. And like money, like see, see what all the progression that will happen in football in terms of money distribution and TV deals for like the European stuff that we want to be at the table for, you know. Um, you can't buy the connections he's got and the relationships he's got with these people over the last like 10, 15 years, however long it's been. So for, for that point of view, we definitely don't want to be um, you know. We, we don't want to be off to called anymore. Uh, you know, they're getting a meeting together, all the big clubs. We don't want our club not to get called, you know. We want to be there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um and again, you know, what we learned from that Dermot Desmond interview that came out um towards the end of last season, you know, that, that Peter Lobo had a you know, the, the most he was the most influential figure in getting Ange Postacoglu to Celtic. So we know that there's a relationship already there. Um and Celtic's transfer strategy has changed over the past season, obviously, as you rightly mentioned, his son Mark Lowell now in a position you would like to think that if there was any return, um, there would be no um controversy or, or clashes um in there, and everyone would just get on with their jobs as they are just now. With Michael as CEO and Mark taking up that new role as um you know re- recruitment director, whatever the, the official title is, but it's one that I'm sure we'll keep an eye on and we'll be covering. All of them to be, but there's been no official announcement yet. And at this point in time, it's speculation. Celtic make surprises and, and come away with a, a, another name who we've maybe not heard of or promote somebody else from within. Um, m- moving on from that, big game at the weekend. Um, it's a tough trip. I think the first point I'd like to actually touch on is the ticket pricing. And this has came up just in recent days, Quinny. Um, last season, 25 quid for a ticket to Dingwall. That's without your buses. Your food, your drink, whatever else. Um, now twenty eight quid, and that's going to be something I think we see all across the board from football sides. Once again, there's been a campaign set up. Um, I say once again because boys who sit just at that kind of curve between the the main stand and the Jockstein stand now at Celtic Park launched the campaign two years ago, well over two years ago now, trying to promote twenties plenty. Um, it was scoffed at by other Scottish football clubs, but now we're in a cost of living crisis. People don't have too many shekels in their pocket. Everything's rising. The cost of ticket prices is rising. And I think a lot of football fans are just saying enough is enough here and something needs to be done. See, the one thing I never understand with ticket pricing is surely every club wants to fill the thing, you know? Absolutely. So, like, if, if you're going to sell 500 tickets and make... I'm just going to make up numbers, right? Let's say you're somebody, right? You're going to sell 500 tickets and make 10 grand on ticket sales. You could make probably 10 grand and get 5,000 people in by charging them a fiver or something, you know, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that sentiment that ticket pricing, particularly in Scotland, like, needs to behave a bit, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, these kind of uh, campaigns getting some set up are refreshing. It's good that fans are saying, wait a minute here. 
I think what else they're trying to do is make sure that tickets are accessible for anybody. I, I seen a, a tweet the other day, um, and it was saying basically this game at the weekend coming up, Aberdeen St Martin, ticket offices are closed, there's no pay at the gates, blah, blah, blah. It just seems as if there's barriers getting put in the way for fans to, to go and support their team. So that's disappointing. But, you know, as you say, fill the thing, make money. I mean, Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock yeah. are going to go down there um, in just over a week's time. 30 quid for down there, newly promoted Kelly. We're only getting one stand, um, under 4,000 tickets. Now, it's not about, you know, I, I don't have a, a grudge with football clubs like Carts who have sold out the season tickets in the Roseburn and will fill the Roseburn for when we, we go to town. That's absolutely fine by me. But when you're going to be in the Chadwick stand and going to have a look around, the Moffat stand will probably be empty. You, you kind of wonder yourself, you know, why are you coming out with, you know, statements saying you're maybe losing money or whatnot and you're not filling your stadium? Get bumps and seats, it. get fans into the stadium and make some atmosphere. That's it. Because, like, closing ticket offices is just reducing costs. You know, you just don't want to put wages on for that day, you know. And then, you know, to <clears throat> basically, you know, the, the reason that uh, I kind of said what I said a second ago is rather than, like, looking after your own stadium for, like, 38 games and trying to make sure that you fill it as much as possible, it's more like, oh, we'll see how to come into town. We'll just charge all them three quid extra each. That's an extra 10 grand. And that will deal with the lecky bill next month or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is they're up to. Um, and yeah, like, fair enough. That's revenue they can guarantee on that Celtic will fill a full stand all, all away, all across Scotland, you know. But equally, like, it's short termism. And unfortunately, it was, you know, that's a big problem that we've, we've even been talking about with the transfer policy in the past and whatever. It's just um, the best solutions in football look after fans and they look after the long term situation of everything you know these kind of like oh we'll just flip the tickets up three quid and we'll just turn off all the ticket offices it's just a plaster yeah absolutely um i think there needs to be something done about it and you know i think the only way change is going to be affected as a fans from across the board it can't just be one club you know talking up for people yeah. it needs to be clubs all across the country to come together and do something about this so again want to keep an eye on um Moving on from the actual ticket price, don't worry, this is not the, the morning CAC, but I think these are <laughs> important uh, issues to probably be addressed is the TV blackout um, on, on Saturday. So moving away from, from the folk that are lucky enough to get tickets for the game um, up in Dingwall, anybody who doesn't have a ticket for the game won't be able to watch the game, Quinny, because during the COVID uh, season and the year following that, just last year, Sky Sports... Um, who obviously had the rights to, to Scottish football, allowed clubs to, to stream um, games via pay-per-view, bringing some extra income into clubs that generated income if games weren't being televised. Scottish football is a really rotten TV deal, and I think this just makes, sums it all up that, you know, the Scottish champions are away to Ross County. Again, you'll have another, another 11 uh, fans of other clubs would say, oh, but our club isn't on the telly every week, and blah, blah, blah. That is the whole point that, you know, Ross County fans, if they can't get along to, to the stadium on Saturday, won't be able to watch the game either. And this is a continual thing. It goes for, you know, Celtic Rangers, three o'clock kickoffs and whatnot. If they just gave the clubs the, the rights to do this, yes, it would uh, generate extra income for the clubs, but it would accommodate fans a lot more. And I just don't see why some kind of agreement on that can't be had. It's a really old rule, like the, the Saturday three o'clock blackout. You know, I think they brought it in can't remember when, but they brought it in donkeys ago and it was to make sure that fans didn't stay at home and watch football, but they still went to games because all the games in England kick off Saturday three o'clock. So it's mainly to encourage grassroots attendance, if you like. But 
Um, especially like you say, like I think any TV deals need to revise this ownership of decision making for for that kind of thing because our let's just say football economy is completely different. You know, like if you're Ross County and you can, you know, you can sell like a couple of hundred stream passes for a couple of quid, you know, to your own fans, to away fans, whatever, then that's that's great revenue to you should have access to, you know, and you shouldn't be under the restrictions of this English football three three o'clock blackout nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the actual TV deal, the money-wise, is is appalling compared to that. And um, yeah, the the only kind of good thing about it is it's a three o'clock kickoff, and that fans don't need to get up at the crack of dawn to try and get up to to Dingwall. So, you know, I've been there myself, six o'clock getting on a bus. It's not the funnest experience in the world. Um, You're lucky to be able to do it, but that's the only real positive about this. You know, it's a three o'clock kickoff, but it'd be even more positive if it was a three o'clock kickoff. And it was on for fans to watch in some kind of form. But, you know, it just, again, it just basically sums everything up that's wrong with Scottish football that you've got games like this. Clubs can't make extra revenue um, and, and supporters can't watch their team. And you should be encouraging that, I think, over the weekend. There was a stat that came out that said something like over 132,000 fans turned out to watch their teams across the four leagues, which is great, you know, for a small country like Scotland. Yep. Um, people are getting along, they're supporting their teams, but. You know, if you can't make it as accommodating as possible to support your teams, you will chase fans away. And in the, the economy that we're living in, when people don't have a lot of money in their pocket, it's something that they shouldn't be trying to do because it's probably an easy option for people to say, I want to spend you know money in football. So that's it. it's, it's one that's disappointing. I'm sure people will have other ways and means of watching the game. Obviously, I'm talking about uh, looking over the old fence at, at Dingwall and nothing else. Um, but... <laughs> Get the cherry um, pickers out. Yeah, or, <laughs> or uh, you know, a big cheeky FaceTime or whatever you want to do. So there'll be a way of people I'm sure will be able to watch it. But hopefully um, Celtic again um, continue their, their winning ways. Uh, j- just in terms of that game, many changes to the team for you, Quinny? Or would you kind of stick with what we went with at the weekend? Um, I'm moderate. I, 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 people might think I'm really ripping on the guy. I, I really love... Hitati, right? I think he's going to be great this season, right? But I'm a wee bit spooked by this whole gum shield thing. Like, obviously, he gets subbed off with a kind of, you know, a bloody mouth or whatever. Has anyone really clarified why he's got a gum shield? Like, has he had, like... Why is it blue is my bigger problem, to be honest? Well, yeah, that's a problem as well. (laughs) Of course. But, um, like, so obviously, he gets a wee elbow to the face, blood starts coming out. I think it's maybe more of a problem that he's wearing the gum shield. That's what I thought Mm -hmm. at first. But, um... I don't know. I'm looking at websites and stuff like that, like prepping for the weekend, and he's marked down as an in- he's marked down as injured because he was subbed off injured. But it's all given me the heebie-jeebies. And it's, on top of that, Turnbull did so well when he did come on. Turnbull yeah, did very well against Ross County last year as well, if memory serves me. Mm-hmm. So if I, if there was to be a change, I would suspect that might be the only one. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think it will be copy and paste. Well, I'm I'm going for a good few changes because I think Ooh. Tony Ralston. Might come in. I think Ange might True. look to um, play the fixture just a wee bit more, just like maybe did at Livingston last year. Cool. Um, that's that's nothing against Juranovic, who I think played very well um, against Ross County last season. But I just think might just look for a wee bit more steel at the back, and Ralston might be more suited when he's going to rotate um, in midfield. I think Turnbull might come in there too, and I also think you might see Giacomakis come in to, to play up top. I know he missed a sitter at the weekend, but I think you might just look to rumble things up a wee bit. So I think possibly two or three changes going into the game on Saturday, but 
hey, I'm not Ange Postacoglu. And, you know, whatever team Ange picks, I'm sure we'll, we'll hope we'll, we'll get a result and we, we trust him to, to get that result. Um, just in terms of transfer speculation, rumours, etc. before we kind of wrap up, there's been a lot made about Matt O'Reilly and Leicester at this moment in time. And it was listening to Go Radio the other day and John Hartson put a price tag of somewhere in the region of 18 to 20 million on O'Reilly. What is your thoughts on that? Um, I think I think for having him for only six months, I don't think we can really price him much higher than that. Um, the difference, like, because we're talking about the board kind of progressing their um, thinking and the club progressing, it's kind of motivation, like European-wise and whatever. And the the incentive that the board and the club has for doing this is they'll be able to sell players for lots of money, you know, if we're successful in Europe and we do well on the big stage against the big teams. The carrot's now there to dangle, isn't it? Because previously there was that, you know, risk and inverted commas are uh, the qualifiers and all that, but now that they know that, you know, winning the league just straight in, I think that risk is now gone. Sorry, just buttoning you there, but I just I thought it's going to probably why we're at that point, isn't it? It puts us in a position of strength that we don't need to, you know, because any transfer window gone by, when we had any activity that looked as good as what we've had, it's like, right, okay, well, we need to sell Ayer. Okay, well, we need to sell Tierney. Right, well, we're selling Edward. You know, there's always somebody funding the whole project. But this summer, we've not sold anyone. So I think we're, we're definitely a lot more secure. But because we've not had O'Reilly, like, really go on a stage yet and, and do a big dance for us, I don't think we can really ask for much more than 18 or 20. But once he, if we play group stages, he gets two goals and an assist or something, and he looks great against, you know, the, the seed one team or something, then we're asking for Bassey money. <laughs> you know? Whatever that is, whatever that astronomical figure is, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you on it, because I think when all the Juranovic talk initially came out with Atletico Madrid and blah, 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 when you've got players especially that are possibly going to be going to the World Cup, O'Reilly's not a definite, he's Played under 21 for Denmark. He's only broken into the team this year. Whether he goes to the World Cup with Denmark is another question. But we know the guys like Juranovic is a set to go. The stock will only rise and it will rise in the Champions League and it will rise at the World Cup. And at this point in time, I'd probably have to agree with John Hartson, but I just wouldn't be for selling because I think Andrew's spoken about this idea of building a beautiful house. Unless he thinks he could go out and get a player as good as Matt O'Reilly, etc. I just wouldn't be for selling Quinny because... That 18 to 20 million, I think, is only going to rise. Um, and again, I think Celtic need to be bullish in a way that, you know, now players can go for big fees from Scotland. There's no this nonsense that they, that they can't make that step up. You know, how many players have did it now? We see Italian teams coming in for, you know, guys like Lewis Ferguson and whatnot. So, yeah, absolutely. I would be holding out for a big fee, but I just wouldn't be selling them. Yeah, and the sort of player O'Reilly is as well, like the, the personality that comes through as well as his style of play. Like, if he does perform on the big stage, if he does kind of realise his potential in that sense, then, like, yeah, the English Premier League isn't necessarily even, like, what he's aiming for. Maybe he's aiming to go to Germany or Spain or something, Italy, like you say, you know. So, um, with him, like, because he is, like, Danish. I, I think we all thought he was kind of kidding on at first, but I've seen interviews, he speaks Danish, he does the whole thing, you know. <laughs> um, he's a real Dane. His dad's quite an interesting character, by the way. He was in a rock band and all this stuff, and he's quite well known in the music industry. So, quite an interesting guy. Um, I think he's actually younger than me, which I just don't like. But I've got to that stage where the Celtic players are younger than me that play in the first team. I don't like it, but um, it means that I can shout son at the games now and not like daft, you know. Do you know, yeah. I did that at the weekend and I've got two kids and I was actually saying this to my missus last night. I was like, I'm saying the word son far too often in my life now. Like, I'm getting... Go to on, have... son. 
Get a ball in there, son, or whatever. Yep, all that I'm stuff. I'm going into an old man very quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got the games. I've got the games from my dad, so I've just kind of picked it up naturally, <laughs> you, you know. Um, so it's right in there by the, the usual shouts of nonsense that I come out my mouth at Celtic Park in a wee game. So, yeah, and it's even worse now that, as I say, there's Celtic players that are younger than me playing in the first team. So, um, just moving on from that, Tom Rodgick, still without a club. There was a wee bit of speculation and rumour about Ammonia, Nicosia, his old boss, yeah. Neil Lennon. Um, whether that's whether there's anything in that, I know I, I don't have a clue about. Um, I'm not really too up with, with separate football, and obviously Adam Matthews has joined Lenny over there. Um, you know, all all that you probably see is he's maybe looking at it as a nice country to live in, and Amoni is going to be playing European football. Obviously, he knows Neil Lennon well, and he's possibly been told by Graham Arnold to get himself a club, um, rapid, and he maybe just sees this as a possible stopgap. I, I hope to God this doesn't happen, to be honest with you. I think he's far and above playing in the Cypriot League. Like, I kind of expected him to end it's up... Things, 28, 29 to, to go to Cyprus, which is no no disrespect to the Cypriot League at all, but I just think, you know, the opportunity this year to play Champions League football and surely you wouldn't turn that down to then go and play at a lower level where, yeah, you'll be playing European football, Conference League, but, you know, are you going to go and you know, doing else but in that competition, I don't know. Yeah, no. So I'm. I, I hope to God it doesn't happen. Because I think it's a terrible move for him. Um, the the only uh, the funny thing about Rogic is there's not like there's no one else like him. So it's hard to say, oh, a team like this could use a guy like him because like Rogic is a, a particular type of breed. You know, doesn't he's not a easy fit into a lot of teams and a lot of systems. You know, in terms of his mobility and. Kind of injury record and whatever he's had as well. So I do understand he won't have his pick of the litter, but surely to God, man, he's got better teams than Ammonia and Neil Lennon coming after him. Adam Matthews is a bit different because I think he was playing like League One, League Two in England or something. So yeah, League One with Chelton. Aye, uh, so I'd take Cyprus over that, no bother. Um, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't take Celtic over though. You would take Celtic oh, over all the time, you know. You know, you wouldn't oh. take it over Celtic. Um, but just you know. Wherever he goes, we wish him all success. I actually thought maybe a move to Japan might have been something yeah. that was on the cards. I know he'd spoken about, you know, moving back closer to Oz. Um, but, and again, you know how good a level that league is, having... It would do great in Japan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's, it's an interesting one, you know, I think if he probably went to Cyprus, we were talking about John Hughes, it'd be feed the bear, it'd be like, feed, feed, the, feed the feet probably, it'd be, it'd be yeah. shouting in, in Cypriot, however do you, you say that, um, because... Um, yeah, I'd imagine they probably suit that style of football, but it just seemed a bit a strange one. Um, Unless maybe, me. I'm just thinking out loud, I don't know how the separate calendar works, but if they're maybe one of these summer teams, I don't know if they are actually, probably not. I was thinking maybe you just catch them for a couple of months, get back up to speed, play the qualifiers, whatever they're doing in Europe, you know, because they've already qualified, they're not walking into anything automatically, you know, and then maybe use that as a wee springboard to go to Croatia or Austria or Switzerland or something. It's an interesting one. We'll, we'll see how that one progresses, but whether it's just yeah. rumour and speculation, we know at times the press can just link two players up just based on um, their, their former clubs or whatever and, and some kind of connection. So just to kind of finish with, um, I'll be at Dingwall. It'll be a tough old trip. We've already spoken about the changes to the team. Um, what is your prediction? Uh, I'd probably say a prediction is probably going to be like 3-0. I think it will be another good game. I think we'll have probably equal as many chances as we had at home. And I think we'll just be maybe a wee bit more clinical. In terms of the wee dilemma I never actually spoke to you about, 
Um, a lot of Celtic fans were saying at the weekend kind of that Jota looked far more effective when he moved over to that left-hand side. Now, I really liked Dyson Maida, absolutely. Um, and I think both their positions are strongest on that left wing. But for, for me, if you're probably looking at it, they would probably be tempted to play Jota more on that left-hand side. And I'm quite happy that both interchange in the game. But a lot of you know critics and whatever else maybe be saying, you know, Abad had a very good season playing off that right. We knew yeah. in the early parts of the season um, and it was Jota, Abada and Kyogo, especially that Ferenc Faros game, the three of them up top were, were terrific. Um, yeah. And it'd be interesting to see whether there's any kind of return to that, possibly just that kind of natural, you know, Abada's the right winger, Jota's a left winger and Kyogo the striker, possibly. I think the manager really enjoys rotating them because um, that was one thing I noticed. Nice luxury. Yeah, they switched over in the 20th minute and then at the reset second half, they'd been back to their original positions and then it was circa, I don't know, maybe about 15 minutes into the second half, maybe 20 again, is when they swapped around for a period. So it feels like a it feels like a, a plan almost, you know, or a strategy. And it kind of plays into, I think it was you I was talking to, there was a quote from Posta Coglu where it was saying like, somebody was asking him about second season, like, oh, do you think teams will know you better and all the rest of it? And his response was something like, most of the time, mate, they're not paying attention to the right stuff or most mm. of the time, I think you know the quote I'm talking about. But yep. I think those little things, I think that's, I think that's proper the strategy. Is twenty minutes switch sides and whatever. But Abada is great at putting the team on the front foot and the other team on the back foot better than anyone else we've got, really. Yeah, I'm a big little Abada fan. Um, still young, still plenty of time to develop, and we'll see how that goes. Um, just start loving prediction lineup from you. Um, well, I would I would go with the exact same team basically that played against Aberdeen. I think the only risk is probably. Rio, I don't know, I've just got the kind of, I don't know, I just kind of shake this feeling that I don't, I don't see him starting. I'd probably put Turnbull in over him. And uh, otherwise, I think it is, yeah, same as last week for the most part. Yeah, as I said, probably I'm going to be seeing Ralston Turnbull and Yakimakis in for Kyogo. Um, possibly Hatati if he is injured and Juranovic. So that's my thoughts on it. Um, just to tell all our YouTube subscribers, and obviously we've got people listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, um, once we get to 3K, we will be giving away a signed, framed Angie Postacoglu print. It's an absolute cracker of a prize. So if you're watching the video, um, please do like the video and also please subscribe to the channel. We'll be giving us away to one lucky subscriber. Um, not too bad a prize to get your hands on. But just to get to touch on the, the top of our show, um, we pass on our condolences and wish uh, John Hughes's family our very best wishes at this point in time. Quinny, as always, thank you for joining me on the Celts Are Here podcast. Thanks very much.